Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Welcome to Branch Life Church's Seven Days That Changed the World series. This is a series I'm very excited about because it's all about the seven days from Jesus entering Jerusalem to when he died and rose again. These seven days have transformed the world as we know it. And if you join us on this journey, it can transform you too. So we are glad that you're here. We hope that you'll stay to the end. We've got some great information to share with you. And our prayer is that this series will be an encouragement to you. Don't forget to fill out that online connection card before you leave. And again, we're glad you're here. traveling through seven days that changed the world. Again, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life. Thank you so much for joining us for this series uh, that we've been working on that goes through the end of the book of Matthew. These seven days uh, that we're looking at over the course of the weeks leading up to Easter uh, literally change the world in every way possible. And as you join us on this journey, you'll learn that these seven days can change you too. It's a powerful, powerful truth Uh, that we're excited to share with you uh, on this particular day. Now, we also have a challenge as we go into day three. See, we've already talked about days two and one and two, uh, and we're going into day three. Now, in Matthew, as we travel through Matthew chapter 21 through the end, Matthew chapter 28, day one is like 16 verses. Day two is like 18 verses. Day three alone is five chapters in the book of Matthew. Five. I don't even know how many verses that is. I can't count that high. So what we're doing in our journey today is we're going to break day three into two parts. First, today, we're looking at part one, shots heard around the world. I'll explain that in a moment. Next week, we're going to look at part three because we're traveling through so much content. But day three literally has all kinds of details This is the Wednesday before Jesus died. He would have died on Saturday. Now, what happened on day three that gives us so much content? Day three is a day that Jesus spent, again, in this temple. Yesterday, day two, last week's message, we asked, did God get angry? He goes to this temple, this massive complex in Jerusalem, and he overthrows the tables. Then he leaves. Then he comes back on day three to the same spot. Do you imagine kind of the looks that he got from the money changers, right? Like, here comes that guy again. This is the guy that threw us out yesterday. And over, he came back to the temple to do some teaching. It's what teachers, it's what rabbis did. And so on day three, we have two massive content 
two massive sections of teaching that Jesus did. So we're going to do our best to travel through these two blocks of teaching. He spent the day teaching in the temple. We're going to look at that today. He mainly was talking to religious leaders and Pharisees and leaders of the town. Then he spent the evening of day three traveling back to where he was staying outside of the town through the Mount of Olives. When he got to the Mount of Olives in the evening with his disciples, they sat down overlooking this complex and he taught them about the future. And so there's, there's message part two we're going to talk about next week. It's called the beginning of the end times. This week we're looking at shots heard around the world. And we're not going to have time to go into some massively important conversations that come up in detail because we are flying over the whole thing. But the advantage that we have today is we are going to ask ourselves, why is this conversation taking place? Why did Jesus give an entire day to this conversation just a couple of days before he would be killed. And he knew he was going, of all the things he could be doing with the last few days of his life, this is what he chose to do. Why? And what difference does it make for us? In this moment, as Jesus comes back to this temple, he is confronted by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they want to challenge him. They want to challenge his authority. They want to challenge his teaching. They want to knock him off his pedestals. They want to stop him from being a, an effective leader. And so they're going to confront him in public, and he's going to have this back and forth dialogue with these religious leaders. The temperature, the passion that he had last week is not gone. It is still there. Jesus has inside of him a righteous rage that is taking place, but he also wants to teach. He also wants to encourage. He also wants to correct. And so in this day, in this moment, Jesus does take time to correct bad behavior. He confronts wrong. I am anti-confrontational. It is not my personality to confront or correct. If you ever find me in a correcting conversation where I'm coming to you with a note, with a request, with like, maybe we should do it different, or this isn't going that well, you need to understand that on the inside, I'm dying. Like, that is so hard for me to get to that moment. I am a peacemaker. I'm a nine, if you know the one through nine. I'm this guy that just likes to bring people together. And so on one hand, you have Jesus and his disciples. And on the other hand, you have the Pharisees. And they're going like this, right? And I'm going, I bet we can figure this out. Like, we can kind of like work it out. We'll try to help them like figure it out and see how they can kind of connect better. Jesus is like, no, smackdown, like confrontation. Like, we're going to go at it. Chapter 23 is known as the woe chapter in, in, book, in the book of Matthew. Woe, like, woe to these Pharisees. And he's, he's giving them these massive warnings. And today, we're going to look at our overview of eight problems that the Pharisees have. Eight warnings that Jesus gives him through all of these contexts. And it just kind of sums up this three and a half chapters that we're going through. So, just practically speaking, if you are going through the Matthew journal with us, there are some days where you had to do a lot of writing on one page. Today, you're doing a little writing on every page, all right? So we're going to be starting uh, in, in page 114, and we're going to go all the way through to page 130 today in our journal. So you can decide to keep it in one note place, or you can just uh, 
break it out into sections and come back to it. I want to encourage you in your groups, in your family time, in your personal reading, to go back and visit some of these paragraphs, some of these sections. Some of the most powerful verses in the Bible are, are in this section of, of teaching from Jesus, and it's all in red. So if you're reading these chapters and you have one of those red, red letter Bibles, this is all in red, and you know what that means. That's Jesus himself talking. So we lean in, and we, sp- we pay special attention to this. I want to summarize uh, the chapters that we're going to, the verses that we're going to look at real quick without reading it. So we're starting in Matthew chapter 21 in verse 23, and we're going through Matthew 23 through 39. This entire section is, is summarized as temple controversies. In other Jesus is addressing different controversies that come up, starting in chapter 21 in verse 23. The Sadducees and Pharisees, the religious leaders, come up to Jesus, and they, they challenge him. They challenge his authority. They ask him, who has given you the authority to do this? Jesus rebuffs with a question. And he, 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 gives, them a que- he gives them an answer with a question instead of giving them an answer. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And they can't answer him, so he doesn't answer them. Then there's three parables, three stories that Jesus tells that have a heavenly meaning. All three parables, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the hypocrites... They're the moral of the story. So he's telling parables about them, and they figure this out as it goes along. The first parable is the parable of the two sons. The second parable is the parable of the tenants. That's the people who took over the vineyard for for a master or a lord. And the third parable is the parable of the wedding feast called the most difficult teaching, uh, the most difficult parable ever shared by Jesus. So that's a complicated one, and uh, we're just going to be able to touch on it today. That gets us into verse chapter 22. After the parable of the wedding feast, a second set of challenges come forward. Now they're really mad, and so they're going to try to trip Jesus up. So they're going to ask him about controversies. They're going to ask him about ongoing issues that are going to make people mad. They're bringing out the most divisive things of the day. So they come up to Jesus and they ask him about paying taxes to Caesar. And this is the part where Jesus gives the famous verse, give unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, give unto God's what is God's. Right? Then, he, then they go into a, a religious controversy. They ask about marriage in heaven and, and the resurrection, if it's actually going to happen, if people are going to be resurrected. Then they ask him about the commandments and the law. And this is where Jesus gives the commandment, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this do all the commandments rest comes right out of this section so like i said very important couple of verses as you get to the end of chapter 22 jesus uh, again points them back to scripture to answer some of their challenges and then he gives them in chapter 23 the last chapter that we'll look at the seven woes woe to these pharisees woe to these snakes woe to these hypocrites woe to these whoa 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 like this is bad warning 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 danger 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 And then he mourns over Jerusalem, and that closes out the temple controversies, and he leaves. The reason we're calling it the shots heard around the world is this is the reason Jesus was killed this day. This is the moment that the battle really began. 
Up until now, it was like the rest of the world was saying, there's something's coming, it's going to happen. And Jesus is saying, something's coming, it's going to happen. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to be killed. I'm going I'm to die on the cross. Get, get ready for the battle. Get ready for the fight. And when Jesus steps into this moment, he's introduced himself day one as the, as the greatest worship service ever, as the Messiah, as the king. He's declared it, no longer keeping it a secret. Day two, he flips over the tables. He declares his authority. And in day three, he's standing as the Messiah in the courts. And he, and he fires shots. He fires these shots at these religious leaders. He is letting the battle begin. These religious leaders are so injured, they're so hurt, that they're so upset that they decide in this moment that he's got to go. They're going to stop trying to reason with him. They're going to stop trying to trap him. They're just going to kill him. And so the battle begins, and Jesus fires some of these first shots at these Pharisees, and then they're going to successfully plot to kill Jesus. This is the beginning of the battle. This war, this battle, changes everything. Just like every battle changes everything. So we are in these beginning conversations. Now, it's going to be easy today to say, oh, those bad Pharisees, those awful hypocrites, those religious leaders. But when we take a, a, a helicopter view of these chapters, we realize that yes, Jesus is talking to those religious leaders, but he's talking to all of us. You see, we can become modern day Pharisees. We can become people that stand for righteousness, but on the inside we're dirty and rotten and wrong. We can think we've got it all together, but we're just falling apart. We think we can save ourselves. We think we can figure out and solve the world's problems. And we can take a position of modern-day Pharisees so easily, where it becomes about actions and legalism, where it becomes about uh, uh, my desires and my beliefs, where we stop being humble and learning and we start being know-it-alls who tell people what to do and how to do it. There's a guy named Jeff Foxworthy who um, used to have a joke, you might be a redneck, right? And then he would kind of give the joke, I can't remember any right now. Otherwise, I would say a couple of them because they're pretty funny. Something about dogs and trucks and trailers, all that kind of stuff. It's not, a, it's not as funny as a joke, but you might be a Pharisee if, right? And we could come up with some things that, to talk about and, and really kind of like they'd start to hit home. Like, for example, you might be a Pharisee if $5 gas makes you mad, but missing worship doesn't. Wait, wait what? You, 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 might, you might be a Pharisee if you see a homeless person and think you're better than them. You, you might be a Pharisee if you think all of the world leaders should just listen to what you have to say and we'd have world peace. You might be a Pharisee if you're really good at giving advice but terrible at following it, right? All of these things come up in this conversation that Jesus has. And we want to listen to these warnings. Jesus is going to give eight warnings or eight problems for today's Pharisees. And what he's teaching us in this moment, if we could wrap it up into one word, is don't be like the Pharisees and start majoring on the minors and totally miss the Messiah. 
Here were these, these people that thought they had it all together and they were focusing on righteous acts and outward looks and they were focusing on, on uh, control and they were focusing on, on good behavior and they were so ingrained in their focus that they totally missed the Messiah when he showed up and stood in front of them nose to nose. And he's saying, you're missing it. You're missing the entire point. And the problems for modern day Pharisees, for you and I, is we can start focusing on the minors. The minors become major and we can totally miss the Messiah. We could totally miss the Messiah in our lifetime. We could totally miss the Messiah for our day. Jesus has a purpose for your day. He's got a big thing that he's trying to accomplish. And if you focus and you major on the minors through that day, you're going to miss the Messiah for that day, for that hour, for that moment, let alone for the week or the year or for your entire life. All of us have the tendency to make major things out of minors. We love making mountains into molehills mo- mo- into mountains. And we've got to listen to these warnings and let's be confronted by Jesus today and not let any of these things take over our thinking, take over our life, and not be described on them. So let's look at these eight problems, these eight warnings for Pharisees. Don't focus on the minor, focus on the major. And Jesus is going to bring back, he's confronting bad behavior. Here's the first four. Starting in chapter 21 and verse 25 and 26, the section where Jesus' authority is challenged. What he says in this one is don't don't focus on the fear of man, but focus on the fear of God. Fear of man versus fear of God is one of the greatest issues that you will ever face in time. Because there's an incredible book that was written called When People Are Big and God is Small, (laughs) Everything Goes Wrong. And how many of us walk around having an issue with the fear of man? Maybe you're a people pleaser. Maybe you actually are worried about bullies. Maybe you're, you are always concerned about what other people are thinking. Did I hurt them? Did I offend them? Do they like me? Are they mad at me? And the Pharisees fell into this category. They had begun to focus on the fear of man as they were challenging Jesus in this passage. And Jesus rebuts their challenge with a question. And he says, well, what authority, where did John the Baptist get his authority, right? And there's all kinds of theology behind it. They couldn't answer the question because the Bible says in verse 25 and 26 that we, those Pharisees, were afraid of the crowds. You see, in that moment, the reason they couldn't see clearly where Jesus' authority lie is they were more concerned about the crowds than they were, were about God himself. They were more concerned that the people around them would be upset instead of God himself being upset. And they had this fear of man that was driving them instead of having the fear of God that was driving them. We learn a lot about the fear of God in scripture, right? In in the book of Proverbs, the wisdom book, it says that the fear of, of God is the beginning of wisdom. When you fear God, you make right choices. You make better choices. In this instance, the fear of God is an extremely healthy attribute to have. That's the main thing. When we fear man, that's the beginning of foolishness. That's when we start to make mistakes. That's when we start to to have errors in judgment. When man becomes big and God becomes small, we can suddenly start making choices and and making decisions that are going to lead us to destruction. Maybe, maybe you're so worried about that other person in your office or at your school that you take the long way around. 
You're not going to walk past them. You're not going to see them because you're worried about what they're going to say. You're worried about what they're going to think. You are fearful of them, and so you start avoiding them. Maybe, maybe for you, there's, there's somebody out there that just is causing you to lose a lot of sleep. And you're upset, at, at, so upset about this person's thoughts or actions or response that you're so unsettled in your spirit that you can't even sleep. And it's all about this person. How, how many of us have been there? And we wrestle over it over and over again when that's just one person There's a God of the universe who loves you and adores you. There's a master of all things who wants to be your father and your friend. And he's saying, cast your cares on me. Cast your burdens on me. But we hold on to this fear. We hold on to this person. We hold on to this response and this people-pleasing activity instead of just handing it over to God. And we wrestle needlessly with that fear and that pain. If God is for us, Who can be against us? And there may be people that are making your life miserable right now. Don't major on the minor. God has said, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Focus on God. What do I do about man? What do I do about those problems? He's going to give us that solution in just a moment. But he's reminding us right off the bat, hey, one of the greatest dangers of becoming a modern-day Pharisee is to start focusing on man, focusing on people, instead of focusing on God. Don't fear man, fear God. And that is the beginning of wisdom. Where does Jesus get his authority? He gets it from God. God's the one who's in charge. That's why he can stand in the middle of the temple and he can confront bad behavior because his authority comes from God himself. Now the second warning that is given, the second danger is when you focus on faults versus forgiveness. Now this is the first parable that comes up in this section in Matthew chapter 21, 28 through 32. This is the parable of the two sons. Now let me paraphrase the parable. There, there, are, two, there are two sons that the father comes to give instructions with and he says to his two sons, follow me, obey me, do what I'm asking you to do. And the first son says, I will not obey you. But ultimately, he changes his mind and he follows his father. It's a little bit like the prodigal son. The second son says, yes, I will follow you. But then when, time, when the actions come, he actually walks away from his father. And Jesus asked the religious leaders, he says, which one was justified? Well, the first one. The first one was justified because he did the right thing in the end. Everybody agrees on that. And then Jesus points his finger at the Pharisees and he says to them this incredible phrase, you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believe him. He says to them in this chapter, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get to heaven, will be a part of the kingdom of God, and you will not. How in the world, the Pharisees are saying, are the tax collectors and the prostitutes justified, the thieves and the robbers, the cursers and the dirty, the the people with addictions, and, and how are those unclean people going to enter the kingdom of God? And I, a religious leader, am not going to enter the kingdom of God? What are you possibly saying? 
What he's saying is Jesus does not focus on our fault. He focuses on forgiveness. He gets us, he gets us to the place where our righteousness is not something that we earn on our own. It's a righteousness that comes from God. Forgiveness and being part of the kingdom of God is available to anyone who asks for it. To anyone who repents. Not to those who are righteous in their own behavior. The only people that can't be saved are the people that don't know they need to be saved. They think they've got it. And so the, the, the Pharisees became great at focusing on faults. They focused on misbehavior. They focused on bad things. And they were going to be pure. They were going to be righteous. They weren't going to break the Sabbath. They weren't going to break the law. They were going to keep all the commandments. They were going to give away all their money. And they started focusing on their behavior. And the reason that the tax collector was so bad, the reason that the prostitute was so bad, is because they did bad things. And so therefore they are unclean while I am clean. And it was all behavior, 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 when Jesus says, no, 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 stop focusing on people's faults and start focusing on whether or not they've asked for forgiveness, whether or not they can be forgiven, and yes, they absolutely can. You see, modern-day Pharisees focus on behavior more than they focus on forgiveness. Maybe you find yourself not being a forgiving person. Maybe you find yourself in that moment where that fear of man thing is coming in and now it's attached to forgiveness and you're like, I could never forgive them for what they did, but now God is saying that I'm not supposed to focus on what they did. I'm supposed to focus on forgiveness. If this is a struggle for you, if all you see is the mistakes that people made and you don't see the power of forgiveness in this moment, you might be a Pharisee. And Jesus is saying, we've got to stop focusing on people's faults. We've got to start focusing on forgiveness. This is what he offers to all of us. This is the, the salvation he's given, you and me. If God focused on our faults, we would all die and go to hell. Because that would just be fair. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Yet God, in his greatness and his mercy, so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in it, whoever, any tax collector, any prostitute, any addict, any thief, any sinner can believe in him and be saved. The third category, the third warning, the third problem that comes up is fortune versus fruit. Now he's going to really start making you upset because he's going to start talking about your focus of money. He's going to start talking about your love of stuff and things. And he's going to give you a warning. Don't be a modern day Pharisee who focuses more on fortune than on fruit. Don't, don't focus on the wealth of things. And this comes in the parable of the vineyard owner, the master of the vineyard. Creates this vineyard. He creates this beautiful setting that's going to produce incredible fruit. And the master gives it away to caretakers. He says, hey, hey, guys, take over my vineyard. Produce the fruit. Reap its benefits. And he goes away, leaving it in the hands of the tenants. Well, they do the work. They reap the benefit of this beautiful vineyard. They enjoy the fruits. And when the time comes to share the profits and to share the the proofs that share the income, the master sends his servants to, re, to recoup what he is owed, and the tenants kill the servants. 
The word gets back to the master. The master hears about it, so he sends a larger crowd of servants. I'm serious. You need to give me what is owed. And they kill the servants again. Then the master says, I will surely, I'll send them my own son. They will respect my son. They'll recognize my authority. They'll see that this is me meaning business. And the son shows up to the tenants. And the tenants say, let's kill the son and keep his inheritance for ourselves. And they kill the son. Why? It wasn't their vineyard. It wasn't their profit. It wasn't their money in the first place. But somehow they got so focused on the, on, the, on the fortune. They got so focused on the wealth. They got so focused on the inheritance that they abandoned their love for the master who had given, it, given to them all of it anyway. He was the reason they lived the lives that they lived. He was the reason they had the wealth that they had. And they were just stewarding it. They were just taking care of it for him. But they decided that somehow the master's fortune now is going to be theirs. And they're going to focus on that fortune. If you have your Bibles, go to this section of of Scripture. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 33 where this is read. Now the master comes back in verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what is he to do with those tenants? Right? They have killed his son. They said to him, the Pharisees, he'll put those, miserable, those, those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in the season. So what do you do with these tenants, these murderers? You throw them out. We all agree. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. And Jesus said to them in verse 42, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he, it was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing fruit. Immediately in that moment, he said, the ones who have murdered my servants, the one who have murdered my sons, my son is you. You are the ones who are keeping this fortune for yourself. You are the ones that are focusing on fortune and not focusing on fruit. And in this moment, theologically, Jesus is taking away his blessing, his plan from the people of Israel, from the Jewish people, and he's now giving it to new tenants, people that will take care of his vineyard in the right way, who will focus on the fruit. And many, many believe that these new tenants are us, the church. That God is saying his chosen people, Israel, failed. They've rejected the Messiah, and now I'm offering it to new tenants who will no longer focus on fortune, but focus on the fruit. Practically, practically, we all live in the same danger. Would God say to you, hey, you're no longer focusing on fruit. You're just focusing on fortune. Are you someone who loves your money? Are you someone who loves your stuff? Are you someone who loves your comfort and you love your entertainment and you love your toys and you love your hobbies and you love them so much that you've forgotten to be more concerned about the fruit of following Jesus? 
we can get so wrapped up in our lives, in our stuff, in our bills, in our day-to-day, that we forget the Messiah. We can get so concerned about our paycheck that we stop being concerned about peace. We can be so concerned about luxury that we stop being concerned about love. We can be so concerned about ourselves that we stop caring about our neighbors. And Jesus has warned us over and over again, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love God and money. We can't allow fortune to take over our passion for the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of walking in the kingdom of God. The real purpose that we have on this life. The purpose is not for us to get rich. The purpose is for us to lead as many people as possible to Christ. God has given us a calling. And at Branch Life Church, we exist not to be enriched We don't exist to get more stuff and to have more land and to build more buildings. We don't exist for those kinds of things. We exist to see more people strengthen their connection to Christ so that we can reach our world. That's what we are all about. And what God says is you need to focus on the fruit, which means care about your roots, be rooted in Jesus, and allow the fruit of the Spirit to to be produced in you. So what are you known for? Your large house? Your nice car? Your, your, your big job? Are you known for uh, always living paycheck to paycheck? Because you got to spend it as quick as you can get it? Or are you known for your love for one another? Are you known for your passion for Jesus Christ? Are you known for your dedication to the word of God? Are you described as someone who has peace, hope, love, kindness, Are you like the best neighbor in the world that all your other neighbors talk about and go, that's a great neighbor. I love them. Are you willing to sacrifice your stuff for the purpose of God? He gives us a warning that often our fortune, which is minor, can become so major that we miss the Messiah. Don't let the stuff of this life take you away from the real fruit that God is wanting to produce in you. Your happiness, your joy, your purpose, your mission, your peace will not come from money, ever. It'll come from a relationship with God. So stop focusing on fortune and focus on fruit. Now, he also says, beware of faking versus following. Beware of faking versus following. And so in 21, in verses 1 through 14, probably one of the most difficult parables in all the Bible, it says this incredible sentence at the end, many are called, but few are chosen. He tells us about the parable of the wedding feast, and this is, this is kind of crazy because uh, the, the master of the kingdom, God, is, is preparing a feast, and he's going to honor his son, he's going to invite everyone who's in the kingdom to come, but most of the people in the kingdom are going to just reject the invitation, they're going to go about their business. So the master gets mad and he says, no, time has come for us to celebrate and to feast together, so go out and let anybody come. I'm not just going to call the nobles and the business owners, I'm going to call anybody. And so everybody comes to the, to the banquet that was just walking in the byways and in the streets, and, and they honor the king with their presence, they follow the call, they, they answer the invitation, right? But even in the party, somebody comes in with the wrong clothes on. 
wearing just the clothes of the day, his own life. And, and the master sees this one person who answered the call but came in dressed incorrectly and says, what, why are you wearing that? And he has no answer to that question. He didn't bother to get changed. He didn't bother to change any of his behaviors or any of his outfits, right? And Jesus says, cast him out. Throw him into the place where there'll be fire and gnashing of teeth. Basically, he says, that person is condemned also. You're like, wait a minute, what? That guy answered the call? I don't get it. And then he says this, many are called and few are chosen. And there's just a massive theological discussion that can be had that would probably be its own sermon series in this moment. But let me, let me kind of summarize the truth principle here. What, what he's getting at is he wants us to beware of faking instead of actually following. We can look at day one and we can remind ourselves there was a massive crowd that was cheering on Jesus as Hosanna. And Jesus was walking down the street and the parade was happening and there was lots of people worshiping him. And there were three categories of people. There was the city, and a lot of the people in the city were like, what's going on? I don't get it. It's Jesus, the Messiah. And they're like, oh, great. And they went on with their business. Other people joined the crowd and they started with everybody else worshiping Jesus and making a lot of noise and having a lot of celebrations and they they became a part of the crowd at that moment but they weren't actually disciples they were just there they just got swept up for whatever reason but as this week went on the crowd dispersed and they changed and instead of saying hosanna Jesus save us, they said crucify him, crucify him. And there was a very small group of people, the disciples, who were actually following Jesus to the end. You can break this parable up into those same three categories. There were some people that just did not respond to the invitation of Jesus, and that's true today. There are some people where you talk to them about Jesus, you talk to them about the Messiah, you talk to them about God, they just say no thank you. And they go on doing their thing. And there's not much more that that we can do about it. We we offer, we've given the gospel, and they've simply rejected the invitation. There's a second group that responds to the invitation. And they join the crowd. But they never actually start following Jesus. They might go through the behaviors of religion... They might be a part of the conversations and the celebrations. They might sing the songs and go through the actions, the activities, but they don't actually follow Jesus with their lives and with their hearts. And as a culture, as an American culture, this is a danger for us because we are a Christian nation. We were founded on Christian principles. There's a church in every town. There's people everywhere that say they follow Jesus, but they're just doing it with lip service. They're actually faking their following. And on the inside, they don't really care about God. They don't really know what they believe and why they believe it. They actually live lives that do not reflect what they say. They say they believe in God, but they don't act like it. So what about that person? Is that person actually going to heaven someday according to this parable? No. God throws that person out because they don't care about the things of the Lord. But the true followers, the ones who were actually chosen, they passionately follow Jesus with their lives. So if I would sum up the theology of this verse, for many are called but few are chosen, how do I understand that? I understand that this way. The chosen... Could you advance the slide for me? 
Maybe it's frozen. Is it frozen? Oh, we got it. Great. The chosen will respond to the call, repent from sin, and pursue right living. The chosen will respond to the call, repent from sin, and pursue right living. You see, the people that actually follow Jesus will do all three and not just one. And what was, what's happening in a, in a very kind of common way then, and it's happening now, is that there are many people that will grab onto one of these three, but not participate in all three. Some will respond to the call, but they won't repent and they won't live righteously. You may have done this at like a camp setting or like an evangelistic outreach or, or whatever. And somebody said, hey, pray a prayer. Say these magic words. You're even here on a Sunday and you say, I can do that. I'll mark that I decide to follow Jesus. And you responded to the call, but you actually didn't change anything. You aren't sorry for your sins. Your life didn't have any kind of aim to start pleasing God. And not that you got to be perfect right away, but you start caring about pleasing God in these moments. And there are people that, that just sometimes respond, but they don't live right and they don't repent. There are other people that respond and then they say, all right, now I've got to do it. I've got to do, live the way I'm going to save myself. And so they, they respond to the invitation of a God, but then they go on expecting their religion to save them. And they put on the right clothes and they put on the right outfit and they put on the right actions and they go to church on Sunday and they think that that stuff is going to save them. When really all God was saying was, no, just repent of your sins. Just fall on your face and be poor of spirit and say, there's nothing I can do to save myself. And, and maybe there are people that say to God, I'm responding and, and, I'm, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, please forgive me. But totally, you never know it the next day. You never know it the next year or the next month. And maybe for a season, they acted like they were following Jesus, but it wasn't genuine and over the next chapter, the last chapter of their lives, they abandoned faith, they abandoned Jesus, they abandoned living for him. To be chosen, to be a disciple, to be someone who's a part of the family of God, it's all three. Faith without works is dead. What saves you? Repenting and following Jesus, making him Lord. There are a lot of people out there that are confused about their salvation because they think they prayed a prayer of magic words, but they never gave Jesus their heart. And God is saying, beware of fake faith and be followers of Jesus. That's why it's hard to say, hey, you just need to get saved today in this moment because we can misunderstand that. It's so much better for us to say, decide today to be a follower of Jesus, to give him your life. Maybe today you've had this question, am I saved? Am I truly a follower of Jesus or am I just faking it? Am I just going through the motions? Am I depending on religion to save me? Am I depending on myself to save me? Am I depending on something that I did a long time ago and I don't even know what I did or how I did it or if it was real or genuine? What? I want to be saved. I want to be chosen. I want to answer the call. Josh, help me. How, how can I do that? Well, today you can decide to follow Jesus. Today can be the day where you take care of it, you do business with God, and in this moment you say, God, I am a sinner. I am sorry. You are calling me to salvation. I'm answering the call, and I'm repenting of my sins. Please forgive me, and I know that there's nothing I can do to save myself. God, I want to accept the free gift of salvation today. Today, I want to follow you, and what, what that means is you will then start following him. You'll, you'll do what he says. You'll go where he goes. 
you will want to please him with right actions and right activities. It's going to matter to you. And so you're going to start investigating what it means to follow Jesus in this moment. And not just forget about it later. Now, if this is you, we, we have some resources for you. You can go to our gospel tab and you can look at this information and, and digest it and learn from it. And we want to have a conversation with you. But if you want to accept Jesus now, in this moment, you can have that discussion just in the quietness of your heart. And we'd love to celebrate that with you. We'd love to get you some more information. So if you would let us know on your connection card that today you decided to follow Jesus, we'd celebrate that with you. Now, there's just quickly a few more controversies that come up. And the fifth one is a big one. You have to beware of, of focusing on controversy versus commands. And this is the largest section of teaching where there's several controversies that come up and they present them to Jesus because they're trying to divide him. They're trying to divide people. They're trying to divide his followers. And so what Jesus is saying in these moments is he's, listen, stop making controversies the main thing and let's make the commands of God the main thing. And here's what we believe at Branch Life Church. We believe that when Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, he meant it. That's, that is what he wants us to do. So here's the controversies they brought up. They brought up political controversies, taxes, right? Now, should they take the gas tax away or should they not take the gas tax away? We can debate all this. Should, should there be boots on the ground in Ukraine or shouldn't there be boots on the ground in Ukraine, right? Whose fault is it that all of this is happening in the first place? Political controversies were coming up. And they tried to suck Jesus into that. He didn't get involved. Then they brought in religious controversy. Debates about the finer points of theology. And they wanted to come in and have this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus just quickly points him back to scripture, and he pushes the controversy away. And then they came and say, finally, what, what is the most important commandments? Like, which ones do we have to follow, and which ones aren't that big of a deal, and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, listen, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands do all the law and the prophets matter. And, and listen, are you out there going, I'm exhausted. There's so many controversies. There's so many conversations that are having. Maybe it's not political controversy or religious controversy that you're dealing with. Maybe it's personal controversy. Maybe it's just drama. Maybe you're all into like the reality TV business out there and like so-and-so is mad at so-and-so and there's a great new meme that's happening and I've got to go all in with this stuff, right? And, and so I'm now all in. Maybe the controversy that you're dealing with is just personal controversy. And there's this stuff that's always coming up and you, you're fighting with somebody and you're mad at and you're not speaking with them anymore and you're, you're going to grab some people and you're going to have a talk about it and there's this controversy, controversy, controversy. Controversy is exhausting. Controversy is complicated. Controversy is painful. Controversies just are unsolvable, right? And, and we make these controversies major in our lives. And if you're someone that gets sucked into controversies, everybody else knows it. You get known by those controversies. The Sadducees were known for their religious controversies. They were wanting to come out and they were looking down their nose at people and we figured this Bible stuff out and we figured out this law stuff and we, we know what we're talking about and you don't know anything and, and we're going to debate this and we're going to argue about this and we're going to write papers on it and they just became like majorly known for the controversy and, and, and basically when they came into the temple everyone was like, oh man, here comes the Sadducees again, oh. Ugh, I'm going to get exhausted by the end of the day. If you're into political controversies, everybody knows. Why? 
because you post about it all the time. It's all over your social media. It's all over your live feeds. It's all over your reels. And you're just always talking about this stuff, and it's always coming up, and you're trying to prove your point. You're trying to convince other people. And, and again, if everyone just listened to me, we'd have world peace, and you just get sucked in. And are you, are you someone that's always arguing, always mad, always at the center of the, of the problem? And I'm not into drama, but I'm always surrounded by drama, and I don't know why it's always around me. I don't want to do any drama, but it's always drama. Controversies. And God says, listen, stop majoring on controversy and just follow my commands. It is way easier. Maybe you're bogged down by controversy today, and here's what God is saying to you. God is saying, listen, there's two things, two things you need to remember today. And start with these two things. One, love God today. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Worship him. Be thankful to him. Maybe you were yesterday, you were that person that was cursing at the weatherman. I can't believe it snowed today. What are you mean snow? 70 degrees and snow in the same way should not be a thing. How dare you let it snow? Instead of, God, I love you. I love your creativity. I love your beauty. I love the variety that you bring to my life. It is amazing to be able to worship you and see the splendor of my God in a snowflake in one day and in a sunbeam the next. You're amazing. Just love God today, right? Forget about the controversy and love God. And do what it means to, and do what, it, what needs to be done to just love God the best way you can today. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. Just do that. And maybe that today it's your wife you need to love and sacrifice for. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it'll be an, a, a literal neighbor tomorrow. Maybe it'll be a coworker. Maybe it'll be a teammate. But just find somebody to love today in the name of Jesus. And this love is self-sacrificial love. When you love God with everything, you sacrifice everything. When you love God, your neighbor, you sacrifice for your neighbor. And just do those two things today. That's the plan for today. You got a lot of controversy going on. Let's just do those two things today. Now, you raise your hand. What about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow I'm just going to ask you to repeat today's plan. Tomorrow, love God and love your neighbor. What about the next day? Just love God and love your neighbor. What about the next day? Just love God and love your neighbor. Do those two things and everything else gets taken care of. And whatever your hands find to do, do it as heartily as unto the Lord. And whatever person comes into your life that day, love them to the best of your ability. Love God and love your neighbor. And stop with the controversy. Because if you are busy enough, if you're, if you're too busy with the controversies, you're not going to be able to, to love God and love your neighbor well. But if you're loving God and love your neighbor well, you won't have time for the controversy. If you care more about the bachelor than you do your lost neighbor, you might be a Pharisee. Now, number six through number eight. Practice versus preach. Outside versus inside. Know-it-all versus humble. Now, this is what I always picture the Pharisees to be, right? These, these three things, describing these Pharisees, in chapter 23, as he gets to the woes, he's saying, woe to you Pharisees, because you do these things. You preach, but you don't practice. And you, he says, do and observe what they tell you. If they're telling you good things, that's great. Do this, 
but not, don't do what they do. If you have someone in your life that they tell you good things, but they do bad things, that is the sign of a Pharisee. That's someone who's focusing on preaching, not practice. Listen, I'm a preacher. This is what I do for my livelihood. This terrifies me. That I would actually come up here and ask you guys to do things and tell you to do things that God told me, but I'm not willing to do them myself? That would be the definition of a Pharisee. That would be a warning that we all... Now, now, if you think that I'm the only preacher in the room, you're terribly mistaken. Because you're all preachers. Because actions speak louder than words. And your actions are always preaching to somebody about what you believe. And our practice should always match our preaching. So when I say, guys, at Branch Life Church, it seriously matters that we pray, invest, invite. Pray every day for people that aren't saved. Every week, invest in relationships of those around you that aren't a part of our, our church family. And, and every, every, as often as you can, invite them into a relationship with Jesus. If I am not willing to do that, then why would I ask you to do it? So I passionately pursue daily prayer, weekly investment, and regular invitations for people that don't know Christ to come to him. That matters to me, and I want you to be able to see me do that, not just talk about who's your one. We ask you, who's your one? Who's one person that you would love to see Jesus come to Christ? I have to have a one. I want to see people come to Christ, and about 10 years ago, I got convicted of this in my own personal life. As a pastor, 10 years ago, I would see lots of kids in my youth group come to Christ on a regular basis. By the grace of God, we saw 15, 20 kids get saved every year connected to our youth group when I was growing up. It was, it was awesome to see that happen. Friends of friends coming to Jesus, but none of my friends came to Jesus. I didn't have time for unsaved friends. I was doing too much pastoring stuff. And so now here I am saying to all my, all my kids in my youth group, you need to invite your friends to this and that and the other thing. And I somehow wasn't willing to, I didn't have enough friends, I didn't have enough times to invest in one person. And God brought me to my knees in that moment 10 years ago. And, and I said to God, God, don't ever let that be true of me again. Give me a passion for lost people who I know and love. Give me friends who don't know Jesus. Help me build relationships with people that have rejected God. Help me to love people and bring people into my life. Give me time, give me effort, give me energy to see people I know who who don't love Jesus be a part of the community that I love. And by the grace of God, man, has he turned that around. Some of my favorite people in the world have nothing to do with Jesus. Some of the people that I spend the most time with in my life and the patterns of my lives have never stepped foot into a church. And they are dear to me. They are so dear to me that when we sing songs that say, Jesus, come quick, I can't sing it. Because I got friends that don't know Jesus. I don't want them to come quick because they're not saved yet. I want them to know God. I want them not to be too late. I want God to save them. Then come quick, right? Then come quick. And there are so many people that need to hear the name of Jesus. They need to know the love of Jesus. And they're never going to turn on a live stream or enter this auditorium. They're only going to see your lie. So demonstrate the love of Jesus. Don't just say the right thing. Do the right thing. 
because somebody is always watching. Be less concerned about the outside and more concerned about the inside. You see, the Pharisees were all about outward appearance and they didn't care about the inward appearance. But Jesus said, listen, clean the inside and the outside will come. God repairs us from the inside out. Stop, church, expecting people to behave before they believe. That's not how it works. Jesus did not come to save holy people. He came to save sinners. And so the church doesn't need to be a place where only well-behaved people attend. A church needs to be a place where the sick, the hurting, the sinful, and the addicted can all come together in one place. We can't expect people to behave that don't know Jesus. Stop telling sinners to stop sinning and tell them to love God, right? We want to worry about God in their heart, not the actions of their hands. We focus on forgiveness, not their faults. And the Pharisees were horrible at this. And God said, we can do it too. So stop, stop focusing on the outside and start focusing on the inside. Start with yourself and then allow it to change the way that you feel about other people. And then don't be a know-it-all. Stop it. Knowledge puffs up. And the moment, moment you think you've got it all figured out is the moment you've become a Pharisee. Because you don't. You're wrong about something. You're probably wrong about quite a bit. And so we need to position ourselves not as know-it-alls, but as humble listeners, as humble learners. I sent you prophets, Jesus said, and wise men and scribes, and some of, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of you will flog, and others you will persecute. And God is sending you people, right? And how many times do we push them away? To the point of where they pushed away the Messiah because they thought they knew better. Whenever you are standing in a position of, of I'm right and you're wrong, just realize it may be the other way around. And listen humbly. So as we look at these eight warnings, these eight problems of Pharisees, we come back to the, the overview of the entire message, the overview of the entire thought. Jesus took an entire day leading to the cross to remind us to be careful about majoring on the minors and missing Jesus. And it, it can happen so easily to all of us in so many ways. So today as we close, I want to prayerfully ask you to consider which one of these areas is the one that God said to you, hey, pay attention here. Pay attention here because this is your weak spot. Pay attention here because this is where you need to do some business. Pay attention here because you need to make some corrections. And, and maybe today you would like to recruit some prayer or you'd like to ask us some questions. And you could do that by filling out your connection card. And on your connection card, if you decide to follow Jesus, let us know. If you're ready to get baptized, all those next steps are available. If you have any questions, please ask them there. But how can we pray for you? And which one of these areas can we cover you in prayer about? And maybe you pick one and you say, you know what? That's the one that Jesus wanted me to work on. That's the one Jesus wanted me to think about. That's the one I need prayer for. Now, just because one of these is your weak area doesn't mean you're a Pharisee. But if you're looking at this list going, oh boy. Wow. Uh, whew. Maybe Jesus is saying, hey, there's some major readjustments that need to be made. And you are one decision, one step away of leaning in to the abundant life that God has for you and letting go of these minors that you've been majoring on. If this describes you, 
God is calling you to an incredible life change that will be so refreshing. And if any one of these are your struggle, welcome to the club. We all struggle with something. But by the grace of God, can we pursue to be better in his power in that area? You see, Jesus then closes out this chapter. He says, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And today, I don't want to heap the burden on you to fix your life. I just want you to remember today to focus on the Messiah. To say, God, I can't do it. I can't be perfect in any of these areas. I keep majoring on the minors. But be the person that says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I want to depend on the name of the Lord. I want to lean on him, and I want to be changed from the inside out. God, will you be my transformation? I want to be blessed by you. He's going to now start focusing on the journey to the cross and what's going to happen in the next season, in the next chapter. He's going to die. He's going to raise from the dead, and the world's going to change. And so he starts to talk to his disciples next week about the beginning of the end. Let's pray together. Dear God, Holy Father, as we think about these warnings, we do want to do a little bit of a heart examination today. And we ask you, God, to search our hearts and to see if there be any wicked way in us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as a people to never get sucked into focusing on minor things. But God, that we would keep you, your presence, and your purpose as the most important things in our lives. Help us to love you more. Help us to love our neighbors. And God, just give us the consistency to do that day after day after day after day. Lord, if, if you've confronted any bad behavior or any decisions or any, any sin in our hearts in this moment, God, we just bring them before you now. We confess our sins to you. We repent of them. And Lord, is there any here that aren't sure about their own personal salvation? Lord, would today be the day that they make sure of it? God, would you be the major thing that we focus on in our lives this week? In your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for sticking all the way through the end. We hope that those lessons that we talked about will be encouragement to you. We want to invite you back next time as we go to the next day that changed the world. And if you're interested in digging deeper or connecting more, we've got a special gift for you while supplies last. If you fill out your connection card and let us know that you'd like these Matthew journals, we will gladly send one to you. Don't forget to fill that out online before you log off. We'll see you next time.